So I'm, I'm very happy. I, I, I want to invite you to turn in your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Uh, I'm going to read from the King James Version. I've been doing that a little bit during this sermon series that we've been on uh, about the goodness of God. God is good. We've been exploring that, that slogan, that topic, that conversation, that God truly is good, that his nature is good, that his will towards us is good. You guys remember the angelic announcement, peace on earth and good will towards all of humanity. God's will towards us is good. And so I want to continue exploring that topic today. I want to look at 2 Peter 3 and 9. And then if you're really good at sword drills, you can flip over to Romans 12 and 2 and put your finger there. I'm going to read from the NIV directly after. So if you're in 2 Peter 3 and 9, say amen. amen. If you're not, it'll be on the screen for you. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long suffering toward us. Not willing. Everybody say not willing. That means that it is not God's will. Not willing that any should perish. That some people should perish. That a few people should perish. That one or two people should perish. That somebody every now and then when they're not on their best behavior should perish. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all, how many? You guys got it. Come to repentance. Romans 12 and 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To connect the two scriptures real quick, when you look at the pattern of this world, you can look at 2 Peter 3, the first portion, that says, As some men count slackness. That's the pattern of this world. You know, when you get impatient with God, you're like, when are you going to do what I want you to do? The pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Everybody say the will of God. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Once more, everybody say the will of God. That good, pleasing, and perfect will. God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just back up a little bit and pray it together. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever and ever. And somebody said, amen. Amen, amen. Today I want to speak to you from the subject of how could God let this happen? talking about the will of God, talking about the goodness of God. And I would like to answer this question today to the best of my ability. God, how could you let this happen? Anybody ever said that before? Two people, the rest of y'all are full of it. Because I know that you have been on a drive before and you've been yelling at the Lord. You know, God, 
I'm mad at you because you let this happen. Okay, so nobody. I know you've done it before. I've done it before. We've all done it before. God, how could you let this happen? And as I've been talking about the goodness of God, we've been studying these scriptures over the past few weeks. A few of you guys have hit me up on Facebook. You've sent me a DM on Instagram. You may have texted me, a phone call, and you have questions like, man, if God is really good, then why is there so much evil in the world? If this passage is really good that we've read today, like if God's will is not for any to perish, then why are so many people perishing? And I want to try my best to respond to that question today. You know, to confess that God is good, if you make that statement, God is good, is to set yourself up for an argument. You know that? You don't believe? Go ahead, post it on Facebook right now. God is good. And uh, you're going to get some amens uh, from Christian people. But then there's probably going to be some other people who are going to give you some feedback that you may not want to deal with. Well, if God is really good, then explain extreme poverty. Well, if God is really good, explain natural disasters. If God is really good, then I want you to explain in a Facebook post, I want you to take half your day, Pastor Lyle, and answer my tweet. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but No, but for real, sometimes I think I'm like, what do people think I do all day? Like hit me up like deep theological challenging questions, you know, and I'm like, I don't. I don't have time to call a timeout and, you know, give you some big, deep theological um, answer. But you, you and I both know that if you post something like that online, somebody's going to ask for that. Okay, well, explain it to me because there's hardship happening in my life. There's pain, there's suffering happening in my life. How can you say that God is good while well, I'm going through all of this? And maybe you've experienced that before, but it's a widely debated truth that God is good. And it probably always will be debated. The problem that, um, you know, I perceive is the fact that it is Christians that debate the truth the most. It's not non-Christians, it's Christians. It's confessing believers. They debate this truth. Is God really good? I mean, I say it at church. It's a, it's a cool slogan. It's a great bumper sticker. I've been saying it since I was a kid. God is good all the time, Pastor. You know, I've been saying that since I was a kid, but do, do we really believe it? Are, are, do, we, do we really experience it? Do we, do we really think that that is true? And I think one of the reasons why we are able to debate either publicly in community or privately within ourselves that God is good is because we all suffer hardship, don't we? If you suffer hardship, just say amen. We all suffer hardship. And the very natural question when we go through things that are terrible is, God, how could you let this happen? That's a very normal question. I think all of humanity struggles with that question. How could God let this happen? And anytime we suffer hardship, it's a very normal response to immediately begin to look for somebody to blame. That's a very normal human response. Look for somebody to blame. Something bad has happened, I gotta find somebody to blame. Uh, oftentimes we blame ourselves, don't we? We say, man, even though this situation was completely out of, out of my control, it must somehow be my fault that I've suffered this hardship. And so we wound ourselves. They're self-inflicted wounds. And these wounds need to be healed in our lives. Amen? Amen? And even when we don't throw shame on ourselves, a lot of times when hardship happens, we look for somebody else to take responsibility for the suffering. We say, it's your fault. You did this to me. This is your responsibility. And we allow unforgiveness at times to fester into to hate 
and division. And we need to forgive in those situations. And from those wounds, we need to be healed. And we do both of those things quite a bit. But even more than that, I think humanity really does something else all the more, which is when hardship happens, they place blame. They place responsibility on God because it's inexplainable. They can't come up with any good theology to figure out why hardship happens. So they throw it at God. Or maybe they're just trying their best to cope with the pain. And so the best thing that they have to come up with is like, this must be God's will for me to suffer harm. It must be God's will for my family to pass away. It must have been God's will for my friend to get in a car accident. It must have been God's will for this terrible tragedy to happen in the world. I just, that's, that's how we explain it. It just must have been God's will. Have you ever heard that before? It's one of the ways that we cope. But what I'm hoping to convince you of today, that that mindset, those phrases are lazy theology. And here's why. Because those things do not make sense when you hold them up next to the person and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Amen. And I, I, I made a list because I, I wanted to address all of these questions. I made a list of everything that I've heard people say to explain away hardship. Are you guys ready for this? I, I'm, sure, I'm sure that you've said some of these things. It must have been God's will for this bad thing to happen in my life. How about this one? Well, if God is so good, then why'd he let that happen, huh? You ever heard that? Oh, you're talking about God's good again. If he's so good, why did this happen to me? Or how about this one? Well, that must have been the will of God or else it wouldn't have ever happened. How about this one? Um, you know, something bad happens and, and, you know, somebody's trying to comfort you and they, they pat you on the back and they say, God works in mysterious ways. <laughs> you ever heard that before? That, that, truly, uh, that's lazy theology. And here's why. Because hey. the people that you know that are suffering need more from you than God works in mysterious ways. Well, we don't know why it was God's will for that to happen, but I guess it was, man. Sorry about your loss. Like, that's not good enough. And that's not what Romans 12 and 2 says is a renewed mind because it doesn't perceive, it doesn't discern, it doesn't see the perfect will of God for the situation. And if we're truly gonna believe that God is good, we're truly gonna have to have a grasp on God's will. And I believe that God's goodness is connected to God's will. A lot of times we confess that God is good, but we still remain confused over God's will. And here's what I mean by that. We step into a situation and we say, God is good. God is good all the time. God is good all the time. God is good. But maybe we go to pray for somebody who's sick in the hospital and, we're, and we say things like, if it's your will, God, then let him be healed. Amen. But God's will every single time is that that person gets healed. Amen. Did you guys read that passage as we started? Let me read it to you again. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish. How I know that this is the case, that it's always God's will to heal people, is because we can look at Jesus Christ. Jesus perfectly embodied the perfect will of the Father. If we've ever been confused about what, what God's will was for how we would interact with sick people, we look at Jesus because Jesus is what God has to say. Jesus perfectly embodied the will of the Father. Jesus is perfect theology. And so if we're ever wondering what God's will is whenever uh, we encounter a sick person, we can look at Jesus. What were the encounters like whenever Jesus touched a sick person? 
they got healed, right? Jesus taught us how to deal with sickness and disease, to bring healing. Every single time Jesus was in a storm, you know, he didn't just say, well, it must have been God's will for our boat to sink. And No, he stood up, he rebuked the storm, he commanded it to sit down and shut up because he was in charge. He said, nope, I rebuke you, right? Jesus taught us how to deal with tragedy. How about this? You know, Jesus taught us how to deal with death. You know, Jesus ruined every single funeral that he ever went to, <laughs> including his own. Like every funeral he went to, you know, he just freaked everybody out, you know, rise and walk, you know. So Jesus taught us what the perfect will of God is. And we may say that we're certain that God is good, but if we're confused about what his perfect will is, we won't experience his goodness. We'll simply repeat a slogan. And it's got to be more than a slogan. It has to be an experience. It has to be a courageous expectation that God's will is going to be accomplished when we step out and pray for people because we know what it is. We know he wants to bring healing. We know he wants to end sickness. We know he wants to bring forgiveness. We know he wants to bring mercy. Amen? We know that that's what God wants. It's not God's will that people get sick and die. It is not God's will that you suffer. But I know we all suffer at times. We all go through things. We all fall upon hard times. Uh, you know, we all transition. Um, hopefully you never get fired, you know, but some of us have experienced that. Hopefully you never experience loss, but you probably will at some point. Somebody will pass away. You know, hardship will happen. We all suffer. We all deal with things. We all go through trials and tribulations. And you and I both know that God works in mysterious ways is not a good enough explanation to bring any real lasting comfort. So if God is so good and he doesn't want anybody to perish, then why are so many people perishing? Have you ever asked yourself that question before? Have you ever thought about that? Well, this is why we are confused about whether or not God is good. And I've, I've heard people say, man, we don't know why it was God's will for them to die so young. But we know he always has a reason. You ever heard that before? Yeah, he needed them in heaven. Statements like these, they may help us cope with pain, but they make absolutely no sense when you hold them up next to life, the lifestyle of Jesus. So revisit 2 Peter 3 and 9 says, he is not willing that any should perish. He is not willing. Everybody say God's will. Let me read that in, the God, in, in God's Word translation, the GW translation. It says, The Lord isn't slow to do what He promised, as some people think. Rather, He is patient for your sake. He doesn't want to destroy anyone. Do you guys hear that part? He doesn't want to destroy anyone, but wants all people to have an opportunity to turn to Him and change the way that they think, renewed mind, and act. It's very obvious when we read through the ministry of Jesus, if you read through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, if you read through the messages, if you look at and examine the lifestyle of Jesus, we get a very clear picture very quickly that Jesus doesn't want anyone to suffer, that it's not his will that anybody would get sick and die, that it's not his will that bad things would happen to you. We get that very, it's, it's a clear picture really quick. And I know that we can all say amen to this and be like, yeah, preach it. That's awesome. But let's, let's really dive into um, if it's not God's will that people perish, why are so many people perishing? Why, why are bad things happening? Well, well, God works in mysterious ways. 
You know what that saying is, really? It's, it's just a, it's unbelief in church clothes. That's all it is. Yeah, God works in mysterious ways. And, and you and I both know if that's the best answer we have to offer to the world, that's not going to bring real comfort. So what is God's will? I did a little word study this week and, and I was examining scripture and I thought, you know, this has really got me caught, you know, because after all these conversations I've had this week and people asking me, man, you really think, you really believe that stuff you're preaching? Like, do you really think God is that good? Like, let me tell you about this terrible thing that happened in my life. Explain that. You really think like God's will is to heal everyone? Let me tell you about this family member who passed away. You really believe that? So, you know, I thought, okay, I, I want to dive deeper into Scripture because I'm seeing these sicknesses, these diseases as impossible situations. And I know this, that whenever I have a renewed mind, impossible situations begin to look possible. And so I'm like, let's dig in deeper. If this is what your word is saying, God, then I want to learn it. I want to see it. And I realized as I did a word study, there's actually two words for will concerning God's will in the New Testament, two Greek words. And I want to teach you guys a little bit of Greek today. Is that cool? All right. So you guys ready for this? So there's two words that the Bible uses to explain will concerning God's will. One of, one of them uh, is called bulema. Everybody say that with me. Bulema. Does it make you feel fancy? You say your pinky up if you want. Bulema. And the other is, it's, it'd be easy to remember these. The other is thelema. You guys got it. Anybody in here speak Greek? That's pretty good. Bulema and thelema. So those are the two words that the Bible uses to describe will when it comes to the will of God. And there are two different definitions, which I find this to be very interesting because when it comes to the fixed absolute will of God, that is the word bulema. And when we think about the will of God, that is how we typically think about it, don't we? We're like, when we, when we, we talk about the will of God, we're like, that is the fixed will of God. That is the absolute will of God. That is the unchangeable will of God. That is the will that nobody can stop. You know, things that fit into this category are things like the return of Christ. Like, it doesn't matter if you believe it, Jesus is coming back. Can I get two good amens, right? So it doesn't matter if you oppose it. Jesus is coming back. He's returning for his bride, right? Things like one day Jesus is gonna judge the living and the dead. It doesn't matter if you uh, don't confess that truth. It doesn't matter if you think that that is silly. It doesn't matter if you are trying to prove it wrong. It's not gonna stop it because, because it is the bulema. Everybody say bulema. bulema. Will of God. It's the absolute fixed will of God. It's gonna happen because God wills it to happen no matter who tries to stop it. But there's another will. And this will is called thelema. And I think this is very interesting because thelema is the word used in 2 Peter 3 and 9. Whenever it says that he is not willing that anybody should perish, that word there is he is not thelema that anybody should perish. Now, let me define thelema for you. Thelema is not the absolute fixed will of God. It is not what I just referred to. That is not thelema. Thelema is the will of God that is dependent upon our response to God's heart. That, so whenever the Bible talks about the will and 2 Peter 3 and 9 says he's not willing, he's not, God's not talking about the absolute fixed will of God. He's talking about the will. He's talking about his plan. He's talking about his desire. 
that is dependent upon our response to understanding his heart. So at times, whenever God says, here's my will, he's not saying, hey, this is absolute. This is fixed. Doesn't matter if you oppose it. Doesn't matter if you stop it, try to stop it. It's going to happen because I said so, you know, but he talks about the thelema will. He says, this is my will, son. This is my desire. Daughter, this is my plan. And this will being carried out is going to be dependent upon your response to my heart. And that's what 2 Peter 3 and 9 says. He is not willing that any should perish. It is the thelema word. It is the, hey, son, daughter, I don't want anybody to perish. But in order for them not to perish, you're going to have to respond. Because my plans are wrapped up in your purpose. God's plans, the bulema word, see, that's what I would call God's will, right? The thelema word, that's what I would call God's plans. And God's plans are wrapped up in your purpose. God wants to heal the sick, but, you know, he doesn't always, like, part the heavens and, and, and step into a hospital bed and miraculously uh, show himself, you know? He doesn't, like, unzip the time barrier and because he's called you, because he's anointed you, because he's put the same spirit that he put in Jesus in you. And so he says, hey, here's my will. And I'm not waiting on Jesus to accomplish it. I've already sent Jesus. He died on the cross. Three days later, he resurrected. Before he ascended to the Father, he gave you the will I gave him. He gave you the tools. He gave you the power. He gave you the authority. He gave you the anointing. And so whenever God says, hey, this is my will, A lot of times we're waiting on him to execute something that he's commissioned us to execute. Well, it must not be God's will. No, it is God's will, but you have to understand that you are God's will wrapped in flesh, that he has commissioned you, that he has anointed you, that he has given you the power. He has given you the permission. He has given you the authority. And in relationship, he shares with you, son, these are my desires. Daughter, these are my plans. And then we respond And we say, God, that's your will? That's your plans? That just makes me feel so bold. And you're not scared when you go to pray for the sick because you step into that room already knowing what God's plans are. You already know what God's will is. You already know what God's nature is like. And you say, I have confidence because I have a word from God and I'm gonna respond to his heart because he has a will to heal this person right now. And I get the privilege of becoming the will of God for this person. I'm gonna lay hands on them. And in faith, I'm gonna pray the effectual prayer of faith and believe for a testimony. And that's what we do. And when you get a word from God, you're fearless. On the other hand, when you don't have a word, you're afraid. If you're scared, here's the prescription. Just get a word from God. You know what a word from God is? It's a different perspective. You know what a different perspective is? It's a renewed mind. It's when you start to see things the way God sees things. You don't look at storms and say, oh my gosh, I better, you know, uh, buckle down. Hide in the basement. I better take cover. You know, when you look at that same storm with a renewed mind, it starts to look a little bit smaller because you're not impressed with the size of the storm. You're more impressed with the size of your God. Man, that storm's not that big, actually. Wow. 
Some of you guys just need to experiment with some of this stuff because God wants to rebuke storms through your life. And I'm not just talking about natural storms, okay? But I believe he probably wants to rebuke natural storms through your life too, you know? Like I told this story in first service and I didn't have it planned and it's not in my notes and it's kind of funny. But one day I was wanting to watch a movie on satellite. And you guys remember when you had like, well, maybe some of you still have DirecTV, but you know, like you, if you were trying to watch a movie on satellite and a storm came through, it did that like fuzzy green thing and like it would, it would mess up your movie. You guys remember that? <laughs> all right. So I've been at the church working all day long and this was, I was in Kentucky at the time and I sat down in a recliner and I ordered a movie and I was so excited and I was like, got my food ready. I'm like, this is great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch a movie. This is going to be fun, you know? And then my parents text me. They said, hey, we're on our way home. There is a huge storm coming. You probably like should get in the bathtub. Like the, the weatherman says, it's, it's going to be terrible. Like it's going to be really bad. And uh, we're going to try and get there as quickly as we can. But, you know, just make sure everybody is safe and, and you take some cover. And, you know, honestly, I didn't really feel that full of faith. I just thought, I don't want to miss my movie. Uh-uh, this ain't the will of God. I'm trying to watch my movie. You know, I'm trying to, you know, have some rest. I, I'm not trying to, you know, listen to a storm. I'm not hiding in the bath. I'm trying to watch a movie. I got like a hot pocket going in here. You know, like, you know what I'm saying? We got, got things to do tonight. I'm trying to sit back and enjoy the fruit of my labors. Hot pocket. You know, and so, so I'm like, yes. This is, so, I, so I'm like, this ain't going to happen. So I went out on the back porch uh, and I, I, I did, I clicked over on the weather and, and I, no lie, man, they had the Doppler going, you know, and the guy, he was on there, you know, he was giving false prophecies and talking about how this stuff was going to happen. And I was like, Mm-mm, not on my watch. So I go out front and I was like, I looked into this guy, it hadn't, hadn't rained yet, but it was getting dark. I looked at this guy, I said, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. I will watch my movie. You will not rain on my house. I will enjoy my hot pocket. Not today, Satan. Yeah, the weatherman's, it's gonna, it's gonna blow through. It's gonna be bad. Get in, get in the shot. I said, nah, in Jesus' name, I declare this storm has no authority. Jesus has given me all authority. He rebukes storms. So I rebuke this storm in Jesus' name. Sit down, shut up, go away. Amen. And so I went back inside, turned back on my movie. I started watching my movie, eating my food, hanging out. And my parents like, rush in, kind of flustered. They said, what are you doing watching the movie? And they start to look around. I said, is it not raining here? Why are you not in the bathtub? I said, no, I rebuked that storm. <laughs> and sometimes my parents don't know how to take me. Now they're pastors, but they still don't know how to take me because I do weird stuff like that, like try and rebuke storms so I can watch movies. And, and they're like, well, is it not been raining here? The, the weatherman said it was about to blow through. I said, as God is my witness, there's not been a raindrop hit this house. And, and so I paused my movie and we went outside and I looked at the porch. And I said, see, I rebuked it. God, look what God did, you know? And I was, I was really excited. And they're like, wow, I can't believe this happened. And, and you could look over and there was a storm over there. You could look over here and there was darkness over there, but I'm not lying to you. It didn't rain at my house. And so, why not? You know, you should just experiment every now and then with the things that the Bible teaches us that is possible with our lives. You know, how many of you guys know this? You don't read the Bible. The Bible reads you. 
When you read it, it convicts you of righteousness. And the Bible says, hey, you're way too awesome to be acting like that. The, the Bible says, hey, 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 you're way too anointed not to operate in the power that Jesus paid for. Hey, hey, remember this? Remember when Jesus was crucified on a mount called Golgotha, which Golgotha means skull because Christ is the head. And so he had to be crucified in that place. And when that happened, what did he release? The veil was torn in two from top to bottom. Why is it important that it was from top to bottom? So you know that no man did it. See, a man had to rip it from the bottom. But God ripped it from top to bottom and he released the Holy Ghost. He gave the power of his spirit to you and I today so that we could do something about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, that we would receive the same permission to be the same will of God in this life, that we wouldn't have to ask ourselves all the time, God, why'd you let that happen? Because God's asking you, why'd you let that happen? Why'd you let that happen? I gave you the power to deal with it. I gave you permission. I gave you authority. I gave you tools. I gave you anointing. I gave you the Holy Ghost. You have me that's living on the inside of you. What can you not accomplish? What can you not conquer? What is too big? So you just should experiment every now and then because the Bible is a prophetic word about what your life is supposed to be like. Not, not everything in the Old Testament, but. The lifestyle of Jesus, I'll do another message on that because some of you guys are like, I feel it. Explain that. It's like one of them tweets. The lifestyle of Jesus prophesies to us about what our life is supposed to be like. We struggle in this generation with comparison and competition. And if you want to compare your life with somebody, the only valid comparison is Jesus. Look at him. Let him dictate and determine what, how you live. And you, and you should just experiment with stuff. When you, when you see people in the supermarket and, you know, maybe they're sick, maybe they're sad, maybe they're, you know, bummed out, like, approach them. Hey, what's going on? You already know what the will of God is. You already know that God wants to heal them. You know that God is good. Encourage them. Even if you don't pray for them, give them some love. Love is the most supernatural uh, force in the universe. It can change situations. It can change atmospheres. It can change people's physical bodies. They can be healed. You guys believe this? I'll tell you one more story. So I, um, my friend Matt is here, and, and uh, I, I, t- I tell stories about Matt. He doesn't know that, but I tell stories about Matt. Um, Matt, is, Matt is one of those uh, friends that they're, they're, a little bit, they're a little bit annoying. And, and here's why, because you go out to eat with Matt and you can't even get into the restaurant because he's got to pray for everybody. And, you know, we're going in and there's some guy and he's on crutches. There's a guy on crutches, right? I'm like, man, we're at Applebee's. I just want to hit the happy hour. You know, they got the sampler and double down on the ranch. He's like, but you see that person, that person looks sad. That person looks, we should go talk to them. We should go pray for them. Let's go pray for them, Lau. And I, then I feel convicted. I'm like, I'm a pastor. I should want to do this. But then he's like, keep, you know. I'm, so we used to go to Walmart every now and then. We used to do outreaches at Walmart. Matt and I used to be roommates. And that's a great place to do outreaches because people got all kinds of demons at Walmart. And so 
<laughs> you will see a manifest, maybe not the manifestation you want to see, but you will see a manifestation of God's goodness on display if you just go to Walmart and share the gospel, okay? Just go start telling people God is good, all right? And so one time we were at, we were at, a, we were at Walmart, I think, or Publix or something, and Maddie had a really good idea. He was like, you know, we're on outreach, and so we'll go, we'll pray for people. I'm just going to go stand by the blood pressure machine, and uh, I'm going to wait for somebody to come up here and take their blood pressure, and I'm going to pray for them. I said, all right, that's a, that seems like a good idea, you know, and so we met back up after it, and, and he said, here, here's what happened, man. He said, this, this guy, this guy, he, uh, he came up and to, to take his blood pressure, and so instead of stopping him and praying for him, I just let him take his blood pressure. So he took his blood pressure, and he looked a little bit discouraged. And, and then Maddie said, hey, blood pressure a little high? <laughs> yeah. Take your arm out of that thing. Let's pray for you, and then we're going to take it again. Did you all hear that phone? So when a phone rings in church, that's what I always think it is. It's a prophetic sign that Jesus is calling you. <laughs> He's calling you out upon the waters. How can I turn this into the ocean song? (laughs) He's calling you into a lifestyle of the renewed mind, right? So, so, So Maddie says, let's pray. And the guy, he was resistant, wasn't he? He didn't really like it. Yeah. Sometimes he's got to force it on, you know? What do, you, what do you got to lose? You know, because some people say, well, if, if they don't want the healing, they won't get healed. I don't really believe that. I don't believe that at all. You know, I think, hey, you know, they're not the one praying. I am. I believe. God wants them to be healed. So why can't they be healed? So he prayed for them. And, and uh, you know, I, the guy was still a little bit annoyed, wasn't he? And, uh, and, and you said, well, well, put your arm back in there. And he put his arm back in there. What happens? Blood pressure was normal. Yep. Three times. Pray for him three times. It's an important lesson in that. Yeah, I heard an evangelist say one time, he's like, if you want to pray for the sick and see them healed, you got to be prepared to pray for a thousand people before the first one gets healed. And uh, I, I'm willing. If I look silly, but I still share love, we still accomplish the will of God because it's not his will that anybody should perish, but that all would come to everlasting life. So when we look at these two wheels, and I'm closing, Brian, you can play. When we look at these two wheels, the Bulema and Thalema, just kind of a quick recap. God has an absolute fixed will, and there's things that are going to happen whether we like it or not, whether the world likes it or not, whether we believe it or not, because God has an absolute fixed will. But God also has another will. And that's dependent upon your obedience. That's dependent upon you responding to his heart. When people ask you questions, well, if God is so good, then why is there poverty in the world? Because we have yet to do something about it. Why why is there poverty in Nashville? We we should do something about that. Why, Why is there human trafficking in the world? We should do something about that. God wants to set those people free. When we step out in obedience and accordance to his word, he anoints us and gives us grace to have victory and to see that will accomplished. Amen? So let me ask you a question as you guys stand. 
What is that? What is that will that God's been tugging on your heart with? What is that desire that you're aware of that God wants to lead you in? Maybe a decision. Maybe it's a direction. But you feel like, man, like God's been calling me here. God's been pulling me here. God's been asking me to take a risk. God's been asking me to step out. God's been asking me to respond and and I haven't done that. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Those of you in here that are far from God today and and you know it, there's no denying it. You just, you need to come home right now. You need to come home to Jesus. I just want you to lift your hand right now. We're going to pray and we're going to start and pray for you first. It is not God's will. It is not God's will for you to perish. It's not God's will for you to suffer. It's not God's will for you to go through intense hardship. He wants to bring you into a family. He wants to bring you into his heart. He wants to bring you into a home. He wants to set you free. He wants to give you a free gift of salvation. So if that's you, just lift your hand. We'll pray for you. Thank you, Lord. We bless you, God. I don't see any hands today, and that's all right, because that means for the rest of us, we get to ask for courage. Courage to go get those that are far from God and be obedient to your word, even when it's inconvenient, even when it's risky, even when it's scary, because we know that's your thelema. That's your will, that we would pursue them so that none would perish. So how will we respond to his heart today, church? What are we filled with today? What are the assignments? What are the wills that God's speaking to us about? How are we going to leave this place? How are we going to carry this throughout the week? God, we ask for courage. Lord, we ask for courage right now, God. We ask for courage. We ask for a renewed mind, God. Give us a renewed mind. Lord, we repent. We repent of improper perspective, God. We repent where we've looked at situations and declared it to be impossible. Whenever you are the king of impossible, God, give us a renewed mind. Renew our minds, God. Renew our minds, God. Fill us. Fill us again with the power of the Holy Spirit. Fill us up, God. Give us courage. Give us courage, Lord, to respond, to lay hold of the tools that you've given us, that you paid for on the cross. Lord, we ask for courage to step out today in Jesus' name. This is who we are. This is who we are. Can I tell you guys one more thing as I'm leaving? Nobody said yes or or no, so I'm just going to go ahead and take my liberty and tell you. Um, The the Bible is broken up into two sections, right? It's, It's the old and the new. You guys know this, right? Nobody raised their hand to get saved today, so I'm assuming you know that there is an old and a new. Now, when when somebody dies, they leave behind a last will and that book, that love letter, the New Testament is your legal inheritance. It is what Jesus left behind for you to live out as your legal inheritance. Because He died, you get it.
everything that's in that New Testament is for you. Not just to think about, not just to know that one day you'll get it, but for you to live it out and experience it today. To know that truth, but to turn away from what's possible is like having an inheritance of $10 million and telling your lawyer you're good with $10,000. Because what Jesus paid for on the cross is not a life of poverty, but a life of abundance. And you have an opportunity to step into that abundance and to step into that righteousness and to step into that authority and to carry His Thalema word to the nation. So as we close today and we sing this song that we are sons and that we are daughters, remind yourself of that. My account is full because Jesus died. I have access to everything that he's asked me to do. I have access to the authority and the power. And this is who I am. So let's sing together. Come on, let's sing it out.